Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here... Please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Steve Gunn is a gifted and prolific guitarist, songwriter, and singer based in Brooklyn, New York. Originally from Pennsylvania, Gunn was once a member of The Violators with Kurt Vile and has gone on to play music in many modes and styles, distinctive from one another and yet all a part of his holistic expression. His beautiful sixth solo album is called Other You and arrived into this world on August 27, 2021 via the fine people at Matador Records and it prompted Steve and I to connect for a chat about his recent U.S. tour during this pandemic, which he was meant to co-headline with his friend William Tyler, how he's coped as a performer and patron in an age of live-streaming events, how his artistic trajectory has been perceived, his appreciation for Will Oldham's voice and mind, the abstract, narrative-based poetry and instrumentation on the collaborative Other You, which might be the record that's the most him, future plans, and much more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 631st episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Steve Gunn, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. Uh, first of all, where in the world are you? I am in Brooklyn, New York. Nice. Now, uh, are things okay in Brooklyn? How are things going in Brooklyn? Fine. The weather is perfect today, which is nice. And there was a block party on my street, so it was, it's sort of quieter than usual. <laughs> oh. There was a block party this weekend, and it was, you know, like two days of partying. <laughs> And it was quite noisy, but now it's a beautiful day and it's it's quiet. Yeah, it's it's nice. I live uh, in a nice part of Brooklyn. I'm close to Prospect Park, uh, which is my favorite park in the city. And I spent a lot of time there, which has been very helpful this past year. Yes, I, I can imagine so. I was a little confused initially when you said there's a block party and it's quiet. I misunderstood your the temporality of what you were saying. And I thought, is it a block party for mimes? Why would it be? Why would it be quiet during a block party? But you're in the aftermath, the come down after the block party. So it's everyone's just like, you know what? We block partied. Now I just need to rest. That's what you're kind of saying. I guess what I was trying to convey was it's Monday morning, <laughs> post block party. Therefore, it's quite it's quiet. <laughs> oh, okay. Just making sure. Just, I just wanted to cl- clarify that. Otherwise, there was a magician, but not a mime. Not okay. There was a magician. Yes, you know, here in uh, Canada, we're it is also quiet in a sense because we have a statutory holiday. It's a it's a, a national holiday, so we have a long weekend. So, oh, great. Yeah, it's kind of nice in that Where regard. Are you in Canada. Oh, well, I, I'm originally from Ontario, uh, but okay. I live now in Edmonton, Alberta. We moved. Uh, in uh, the beginning of 2020, literally January of 2020, we moved to mm-hmm. Edmonton. My wife's family is from here, and job prospects aligned themselves. So we thought, you know what the hell, let's let's take a chance and move out west. And uh, now I live in a province that has been called the Florida of Canada because of how it's been dealing with the pandemic. And uh, oh, okay, there's uh, there's not there aren't palm trees there. No, definitely not. It's quite cold. Do you know anything? Have you ever been to Edmonton? I don't think I've been to Edmonton. That's sad. Does that mean you will never come to Edmonton? I'd like to no, see I'd you. Love to. <laughs> I'd, I'd, like love to. <laughs> I'd like to see you perform live if I can here in Edmonton. That would be fun. I would love that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll make some calls. I don't know anyone here yet, but I'll make some calls. I'll just call random people and say, yeah, "Hey, let's get let's get Steve Gunn here." Now, Steve, you you just got back from a, a somewhat short tour. I believe the dates were 
with uh, primarily uh, you and uh, accompanied by uh, William Tyler, a guest on this show and an upcoming guest on this show as well, actually. And I believe that's correct. You can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but uh, if I'm correct, how was that? How I assume this was your first real solid foray into the touring world since the lockdowns and whatnot. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, it was. I, I had one other show before that, um, but it was just a one-off and it was outside and it was, you know, kind of, it was about a month ago in upstate New York. So this was a real kind of, this was the first real tour, you know, merch, mailing merch to each other, getting a van. We have a tour manager. Mm-hmm. Michael was with us and we, you know, it was like we had, we had canceled the tour about a year ago and because of, you know, COVID and we were very excited and we successfully did a show in New York. But I don't know if you heard, but William William tested positive that next morning before we were supposed to leave town. What? Like on this on this stint? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, I didn't hear that. Yeah, so that was very, very intense and scary and confusing sort of few days post after our first gig, you know, he arrived from California and got tested twice and everything seemed in the clear. So we continued with the gig uh, in New York. And then that next morning he got a, you know, positive test. And so it was very, (laughs) a very, very kind of surreal and scary predicament to be in. You know, the van was packed. We were heading out of town and there, it was a chaotic morning for sure. You know, we were, we weren't sure if we were going to continue the tour and luckily the rest of our gigs, except for one towards the, which was our last show, all of the shows were outside. Oh, okay. So we immediately got tested and we continue to get tested throughout our trip and luckily they were all negative but you know it was quite scary so that was an interesting and strange sort of twist of events for this tour which had which we had been talking about for a while uh because we got invited a year ago we got invited to play newport folk festival Mm -hmm. william and i and that's kind of how this whole tour came into being was we were just going to do some gigs around that and that of course was canceled so this is the rescheduling of all that and then to have this event happen again which you know william's fully vaccinated and all that stuff um so this was was a breakthrough infection as they call it yeah yeah so Mm. well first of all how's he doing have you have you heard from him yeah we've been talking and he's doing well he's out of the woods he tested negative Oh, okay. So it's the end of the day, and he's feeling good. He had to kind of stay in New York and quarantine here, so he's been here, and I think he's leaving this week to okay. go back home. But he, he's good. He, you know, of course, he was thrown for quite a loop, and I'm sure he'll talk to you about that when when we speak to him. But it was, you know, we were feeling for him, and we all playing one of his songs and selling his merch, and you know, keeping in touch with him every day. Yeah, you know, making sure he was giving him film recommendations and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to pry, but was he asymptomatic? Was there any sense of how he contracted it? I know he must have traveled to get to the first date of the 
tour, but is there any sense of, yeah, so those two things, was he showing any symptoms? And also, does he have any sense of how he got it? Yeah, well, the what happened was he was traveling with a group before he came to see us. And I think that's just what caused concern for him and caused him to take every precaution. Hmm. And he arrived, he was on a tour bus with a band in California and it seems like there was a you know some breakthrough cases going around within the band and that seemed to create sort of a trickle effect and was sort of a mess yeah that hmm. the tangle that the all like miss some miscommunications with some of the people that he was traveling with you know it was all and all this stuff was kind of unfolding uh in real time so I think when he arrived to New York, there was zero time. We didn't, you know, he, the, the show was the next, kind of the next day. So I think he, he was just being cautious and, it, you know, luckily he caught it before we got in the van and started driving. Yeah, we, yeah. We did do the, the gig in New York, but it was, you know, and I definitely obviously was around him, but most of us were, were being careful and being masked up behind stage and keeping distances just just as the normal precautions go. Yeah. And these protocols for, you know, there was like a proof of vaccination for the show and, you know, it was all this sort of new territory. Um, but, you know, I don't think he felt well enough, you know, I think we were just forging, you know, we're starting the tour and, there, and it, 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 it took him by surprise. Sure. You know. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll send him a text or something, and just because I, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, we're social media friends or whatever, but I didn't. I didn't clue it. I didn't catch that bit of right. info, and I don't know if he shared it. But uh, he made a statement. Oh, okay. You know, next day, just basically saying like, Steve is going to continue the tour, and I'm, you know, I'm off the tour. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. Like, Etc. So yeah, I mean, I felt for him. It was a pretty seemed like it was, you know, obviously it was rough. It was a rough week for him, but I'm just happy that he's okay and he's, you know, tested negative and, yeah, you know, you know kind of like lesson learned. And I think he's trying to express to other people that it's, that it's, it's not over and there needs to be precautions on all levels of venues, bookers, musicians, and, and audience. Well, I was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, as we all know, I think there are certain extreme strains, or there are certain strains of we need to get back to normalcy. We need to get back to some semblance of business as usual and some sense of normalcy. But, and I know for musicians, like there's a sort of sentiment like, well, we're vaccinated. You can get sick or potentially perish from any number of things in life. Like life is not, nothing in life is guaranteed. So we got to just get to it, get back to it. But I know like my sister traveled to Ontario to see my parents from Nova Scotia, where she's been living. And, you know, there was talk of like, hey, like, are you, what about you guys coming? And I was like, no, I don't think it's. Like, as I'm speaking to you, like cases in my province are going up because they've, I think we're the only place other than probably some southern states in your country that has suggested Mm -hmm. that we lift all protocols, all restrictions. So cases are starting to climb a little bit. There's this variant as we're speaking as well that people are 
yeah. and catching. So my philosophy is still, well, if I don't have to leave the house <laughs> uh, for anything besides groceries and the odd whatever, I'm not going to do it. But you and your vocation are in a different mode. Yeah. I guess all of this preamble to ask, what was the mood like at the shows? I mean, you say they were mostly outdoors, which is, you know, that's great. It's summertime, but fall and winter are going to be here before we know it. And do you like what well, I just I guess just tonally like how did it feel how did it was there skittishness was there were they well attended uh, these shows particularly you say you play played at least one indoor show I ask all this because I know you're a seasoned musician and a seasoned uh, road hog if you will what was the vibe what was the vibe like in city to city I'm just curious uh, it was it was interesting it was weird I mean my travel mate and I we were pretty paranoid yeah yeah being safe as possible i mean we were very transparent with the situation and you know luckily everyone was supportive uh we did cancel one show that was indoors but that you know the scene that was that was totally cool with us Hmm. and it actually gave us an extra day off in maine which was much needed (laughs) sorry did you cancel the show or did the venue cancel the show i think it was a kind of a mutual decision but this was, it was an indoor show um, and it was in New Hampshire and we weren't able to, to find an alternate outside space. I think it was maybe weather related. I, I can't remember. Oh, okay. I see. I think we basically just decided to circle back with this promoter. I've done a concert with him before. He's really, he does this amazing festival called The Thing in the Spring. Oh, okay. In New Hampshire. Um, which I played before. So we were looking forward to seeing him, but you we were just like, you know what, let's next time, let's just, you know, circle back and we'll do it another time. Right. Um, right. But as far as the the shows go, yeah. I mean, we were being in, in, in just as careful as possible the first few days because we were, you know, we were getting tested and waiting for the results. <laughs> and luckily, you know, everything's just came back negative. Yeah. You know, all yeah. the PCR tests, the rapid tests. It was crazy. I was like, here we are again doing this. I mean, I was doing this all summer last summer because I was making a record. Yes. And, yeah. Um, so, and we're fully vaccinated and, you know, my travel partner uh, had COVID and we were just like, Oh, God wow. damn, oh, boy. here we are again, yeah. you know, yeah. but the first show that I did after New York, it was in the Catskills. It was at a brewery and it was kind of like a very low key, but off, but fun concert. Mm-hmm. It was a limited capacity uh, and people were spread out on like a pretty large piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was nice. And the mood was, I mean, I was happy to play. This is the first time I'm like kind of stepping back into plugging my pedals and my guitar and figuring out my songs again. And I have new material that I'm sort of stumbling into and, you know, it felt really good. And it felt like a move forward from, from, you know, not playing for so long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, there was this added ghostly kind of stress. It's weird. It's sort of almost like a science fiction kind of stress. Well, that that is it. That is an excellent way of putting it because I just like a week ago I attended my some friends of mine in a band called Fiverr played an outdoor yeah. show in in Edmonton and I attended it. 
It was in the evening. Uh-huh. It was at a. It was out. It was in a this venue that I didn't. I didn't. I don't know any venues really here yet. I just got here. It feels like every day. It feels like I just got here because because uh, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to really explore and go to too many shows. And um, anyway, I went and I had my mask with me and I had it on even outside for a little bit because people were smoking cigarettes and. Mm. I was like, well, this can't be good. Like, I mean, smoking is never like, you know, secondhand smoke is never great. And then with this virus in the air, I was like, well, I can't. So I put on my mask, but I was the only one for a while. But then I just succumbed to the psychological peer pressure to take it off. I'm like, I'm the only one wearing this mask in this outdoor space. And so I took it off and then, you know, ended up in these clusters of conversations uh, sure. with people who wanted yeah. to say like who you know knew of me and I I was being introduced to people and so and then watching the show it felt surreal like I felt this like I was very distracted by the fact that it was the first show I'd attended since March of 2020 and I was very distracted by the fact you know by the reason why and looking around at people and that paranoia like it was all there for me so I sure, relate to what sure. you're saying is both probably a patron and a performer like just to go back to this while we're still in feels like in the midst of it is it, surreal is the only word I can think of it seems like a movie or something yeah and what was hard for me was definitely that that stress but it's also like you I was sort of craving just connection with people and that's mm-hmm. that's a big part of what I enjoy about traveling and playing music is you know, meeting people and, and, and talking to them and being around them and to arrive and feel like a hazard is a, a weird and interesting sort of exercise and predicament. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, you're, you're potentially causing the hazard by <laughs> being the focal point of this gathering, right? Yeah. So the first day, you know, and just as an, like, just an example, the first day I was in the Catskills and, you know, we were masked up and staying away from everyone. Luckily, the stage was clear and it was like totally open and everyone sort of knew. And I saw some friends, you know, I'm, I have a lot of friends who live in the upstate area and an old neighbor of mine was there with some friends of his. And I was like, look, like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to keep this mask on and stand very far away from you and we can have yeah. this. And he was like, Oh, okay, no problem. I, he didn't. He didn't know my predicament, and I told him. But yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I almost felt like I'm not. You know, it, it, it was strange because they were like, they weren't surprised by it, but it was like, you know, this is sort of a newfound reality again, uh, where I thought if I could <laughs> go back a few days before the tour started and we were just kind of daydreaming about <laughs> can't wait to get back in the van, you know, particularly with someone like William, who I've known for 10 years now where mm. I played some of my first gigs with him and did some of my first kind of serious touring with him. And we met some of our heroes together and that kind of thing. Like he's an important person in my life creatively and personally. So mm-hmm us to connect again after so long even just to chop it up in the van and like hang out and talk uh yeah you know that yeah. was to have that sort of like again sort of like pulled out and then 
be in the situation that we were in about a year ago. It was like, damn. And it all sort of happened so quickly, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was you know, we, look, I, I'm grateful that like, that we were able to continue with the shows and we did it and we did, and it was great. But at the same time, it was, it was, an, it was as not as, you know, we weren't expecting that yeah. to happen. Yeah. Well, we, I, uh, it sounds like he's Williams doing better and we wish him well, obviously. And, uh, I wish everyone well, who's trying to do something, um, trying yeah. to put on shows, whether you're a promoter or an artist, you know, or a patron, you know, by, by attending these shows to show your support and to, to try to enjoy, uh, you know, live music or live events, art. I mean, these are important things. I, I feel that I've felt that for most of my life, that this is important and valuable. Uh, but it is just a weird, I guess there is part of me that accepted that it wasn't going to be around, uh, for a while and, and dealt with that. I didn't, I have not enjoyed particularly. I mean, people have done some really cool virtual events in a sense, you know, put some thought into it and production and all those things as it developed. But I can't say yeah. I've, I've fully enjoyed it. It doesn't feel immersive. Uh, Same with me. Yeah. You know, I felt there was, and it's interesting because it, I think this, the sort of technology and the, how people figured out how to navigate that got better <laughs> yeah. but in the beginning I, I really tried to do a few and it just it just I was it just felt it made I wouldn't say that it made me feel more sad but it just was this new sort of territory that for me it wasn't from and obviously for most musicians you have to sort of feel the room and be around people and yeah yeah it just it's like this and you're kind of under this microscope and yeah, it was, it was odd. Well, it's, I think psychologically we have been using the internet, um, most of us, I'd, I'd say, on a grand scale or a, on a mass level since the mid-90s. But over time, I feel like it's overtaken most other artifacts, you know, tangible experiences uh, in that, you know, obviously we're a lot of people are streaming uh, everything that they used to by yeah. by physically uh, or you know blu-rays dvds records obviously cds like these sorts of things so we're in a zone where we most a lot of people and probably the majority of the people shifted into these ephemeral things and i think it created psychologically this inherent disposability like you're meant to consume something on the internet and then leave it behind because you don't have it in your like I'm just glancing at my record collection behind me. I have this, all these records, like these LPs, and like it's, it's. I don't know that the majority of people maybe care as much about having a physical, tangible object in their hands as much as they used to. And I, I don't think what I'm saying is outlandish. I think that's true. And so we're all then having to shift to the the thing was you would go to the concert to feel the real life. <laughs> to feel something substantive, you kind of understood that you have to leave your house and attend something to be a part of society and feel like you were really participating in that exchange of ideas. Sure. And now that yeah. also, because of the circumstances, got reduced to the same platform where we don't, some of us don't, value 
too much the thing. It's just another thing and you consume it, you process it if you want to, and then you move on to whatever everyone else is talking about. Just constant hamster wheel. So that to see live performance then get lumped into it, on the one hand, I experience things I would never have gotten to experience because of just geography. Like, you know, attending an annual event in Chicago that I was always aware of, but never got to attend right. because they did it virtually. And that's, and you know, you could attend a writer's festival from anywhere in the world. So there's like a trade-off on that. Like, I yeah. felt like I was sort of participating, but at the same time, like I was just saying, it felt like another reductive exercise in... And how art is just—I don't know. The—I I don't think it's being diminished. I don't think it's diminished in its importance. But I can see this gradual, like, oh, okay. So now, also, concerts can just be on your computer on demand. I don't have to be immersed in the actual with people. And you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Does any of this resonate with you? It does. It do- it definitely does. I, I think that. There is an advantage. I got one of the advantages for the online stuff was that musicians could make money. I think that yeah. that was like people could tip or pay, you know, the, a, a, a tick for a ticket and that kind of stuff. And I participated in one of those uh, with Aquarium Drunkard. Yeah. Um, that website. And then it was like kind of a whole production. Like I went to a venue and there was a camera crew and I did, I played some new songs and we sold tickets. And it actually was it almost felt like I was playing a show and it, that was great. And I think that that particular performance for me was like a really good experience. And I think that that in the beginning, in the beginning of the pandemic there, I did a few things just like in my apartment with, you know, the person was like, we need three camera angles and use a good microphone. So I'm suddenly I've got, you know, my decent camera set up on a tripod. I got my phone set up. And I've got my computer and I saw, I'm like trying to push all the buttons at once. I'm in here alone. <laughs> right. It was the most insane thing I think I've tried yeah. in a while. Yeah. Where it's like this kind of trapeze sort of act where, you know, I'm pressing all the buttons at once and then counting to three and then playing the song and then messing up. And I have a sort of obsessive brain. So I would play the song 15, 20 times. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this definite hamster wheel of just being alone and trying to play and trying to make it look and sound good. And I don't know, it was, this is very strange to me, but at the same time I did finish it and it was a part of the Philadelphia folk festival and people saw it and it was great and all that. But at the same time, the experience itself was new and strange and I'm constantly trying to get away from Get, getting out of the screens and for me that's a big part of you know my life is is disconnecting <laughs> and to be reliant on that was was challenging yeah you know yeah um, yeah and still yeah is, it has obviously. i think it has been for a lot of us uh and like i say i'm trying to see the merits in it as much as i can and there are some i fully believe there are I some have, there are and i have another example like i go every year i try to go to St. Mark's Church, because there's this poetry reading there, one of the most incredible sort of gatherings of people that happens on New Year's Day, um, and it's been happening since the 70s. And Is that the thing Patty, Patty Smith did? Is it, yeah, is it in New York? The front, 
this is New York City, and basically they they invite poets and readers and performers all day. So it's yeah. scheduled, and it starts at noon and ends at, you know, I think it's 12 hours or something like that. Maybe it's a little earlier, right. but it's really, really beautiful day, you know. And I've seen some of my favorite poets and, and writers come through, and uh, it's just this joyous kind of celebratory lovely holiday-ish sort of experience it's always inspiring and this last year it was it was online and i was like oh man this is going to be so strange because <laughs> i i miss being in the church and you know taking the breaks and seeing people and being able to chat with others and, and discovering new writers and poets and all that all that stuff just the energy in that room is is pretty profound yeah yeah, but I would I'll have to say the advantage of this particular poetry celebration was because it was online. Writers kind of couldn't say no if they were out in Montauk or or in Italy or all over the world. So you know, <laughs> some of these writers had no excuse. So it was, it was awesome. <laughs> Where it was like, oh, okay, it was more of like a kind of incredible list of writers. It was also so interesting to see some of these people in their homes as well and see what's, you know, what's in their living room or get a glimpse of their cat or something like that. You know, it was a different, it was a different sort of like view into, into that, that world, which was very interesting to me. Well, imagine being an event promoter or a festival promoter in the midst of this and, you know, fretting about ticket sales and whatnot, but at the same time looking at your travel budget being, you know, nothing like putting on some sort of event virtually and let alone the impact on the climate for all these people you're flying in or they're driving to your destination and, and, you know, all the environmental impact of the events themselves. Like I would, when I say merits, you know, having said what I just said and you just said about the downsides, there is hope in my heart that we learn things, valuable lessons from these last 16, 17 months, whatever it's been, and maybe do some sort of amalgam of, like it, it, like I said, it's been cool, like you, like you were just talking about poets from around the world. I mean, you put it in a funny way, like they can't say no. What else are you doing? Of course you can participate. Yeah. There's no excuse. You know you've got Adidas sweatpants on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but my but I do hope that if I can attend a <laughs> festival that I mean this that part has been going on for years. I think like as we're speaking, I feel like this her I, I wasn't a f I'm not I wasn't like eager to attend Lollapalooza in Chicago, but I believe they live streamed a good chunk of it. And that's been common for like many festivals, Coachella, whatever, uh, you know, they, they're like, yep, there's a, if you can't attend, here's a live stream. So there's that sort of amalgam yeah. of like, we recognize that not everyone can make it, but we want you to feel like a part of it. Yeah. I don't exactly, I mean, I assume their motivation is advertising dollars and internet advertising, but, yeah. but it, yeah. but it seems to me like this could continue. Like I, as I said earlier, I don't particularly enjoy attending, and I'm putting that in air quotes, events this way. But we had to add a necessity, yeah. which psychologically made you feel like, well, I have no choice in this. Everyone's doing this virtually. So right. so psychologically, it felt right. okay to be like, well, that's the only way I can. anyone can enjoy this. But going forward, if we do get to some semblance of normalcy, 
I don't know if you feel this way, but it would be nice to like if you're playing, I don't know, Newport Folk Festival and not all of us can go to Newport Folk Festival. It would be cool if they offered your performance as yeah. a live stream. Wouldn't would you like that? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I would. I yeah. agree. You know, just like live concert films, um, constant live concert films for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, you know, seeing like some of the, some of the stuff, the streaming stuff that I enjoyed was like, gosh, I never thought I'd get to just sit and watch Richard Thompson play in his yeah. living room, Yeah, you know, or Neil Young streams that he did were, were pretty enjoyable too. Like he's sort of just like on, on the ranch, like in the, on some porch. Playing. Those are great. And he did some really wonderful versions of his own songs and other people's songs and uh, I missed the Richard Thompson one, which I shouldn't admit, because he's also supposed to be on the show oh. uh, coming up in the next little bit to talk about his new uh, memoir oh, and, and his that. life. I love that yeah. book so much. It's, yeah. B-Swing, for those who don't know it, and stay tuned. <laughs> if all goes well, Richard will be on the show as well. So, yeah, there have been cool things, but, yeah. I, I also would like to add, as far as merits go, personally, I realize I needed a break. Yes. Um, for someone like myself who's been pushing pretty hard on the road for the past, you know, five, six years, it's hard to figure out how to put the brakes on it, particularly when you're in album cycles and all this stuff gets planned so far in advance and you're thrust into a year of touring again and all that stuff. And not e- I'm not even speaking creatively. This is more like kind of physically and spiritually absolutely um, yeah it's exhausting yeah yeah and there's that kind of exhaustion that lays underneath and you know you might not necessarily be conscious of it and for me it was hard to get a footing with everything gone but at the same time it allowed me to really take a break and to not be concerned with a lot of the sorts of things that were taxing for so long, which, you know, just general stuff. And there's certain times in my life where I couldn't look at my schedule too far in advance because I would, it would put me in a tailspin. I'd, yes, absolutely. I'd see, yeah. I'd see these dates and, and think like, how is this possible? Yeah. So as a default, I would basically kind of just keep my head down and plow through weeks and weeks of touring on, and uh, just to be able to, turn that off and you know go up on my roof and read for a few hours or think about music and and walk around and just just really really take a break for me it was pretty profound and i realized that i i I needed that and i know a lot of people that i've a lot of people in my community needed that as well absolutely obviously because there was a lot of concern for everyone but personally i kind of embraced the break and i'm i'm pretty grateful for that and and you know i was able to really get into my own creativity and my own work in a different way and and really take my time with it and really kind of get almost an aerial view of 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 what i was doing and and where i where i've come after all this time and where I kind of want to go or how I want to embrace what's going to happen next, you know? Yeah. It was, it alleviated a lot of sort of stresses in in my life, you know? Right. Yeah. 
And I, I think that, I think in a lot of ways, what you're alluding to there is time. I've said this to numerous guests on the show. I feel like we all got, those of us who were able to overcome the, the economic stress of, of having work taken away from us, and, and fortunately for me, it was the opposite. I mean, yeah. I've never been busier and I have a day job and mm-hmm. I could still do it. And there were, it was perilous at some points, just given the kind of cultural industry I'm in. But mm-hmm. the organization I work for is able to persevere and then some, you know. But yeah, to that end, uh, in terms of what you were saying, you weren't completely resting on your laurels. In fact, it's quite the opposite. To my understanding, this beautiful, beautiful new album other you was pretty much made entirely during a pandemic is that is that accurate um it started before but i really settled into it like i was saying that i embraced this break um i was writing it before all of that stuff kicked in oh you were writing it right but the recording is, is oh did i miss oh, the recording definitely happened. yeah okay yeah. okay that's what i'm sorry that's what i was alluding oh, okay. to sorry. yeah no no, yeah, no 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 my fault there's two different steps here of course the writing you're saying began prior to all of the writing or were you fine-tuning things in the studio i was fine definitely fine-tuning things in the studio and i reconsidered a lot of the stuff that i wrote during you know during lockdown yeah um I just, I guess I, I asked that question just because you might be among the, f- it seems sort of ridiculous that, and actually I'm going to just, I was going to say you might be among the first people I've spoken to that pretty much recorded something during this time. Because I think yeah. I, I have had no shortage of guests on the show with new things to promote, but a lot of them had made them. Uh, most mostly made them before the just before the pandemic. That's what I often heard. So yeah. so this this right. time that we're all sharing together of stillness, lockdowns, panic, confusion. Not a lot of that has informed the work we're now hearing. Even though you know it's just coming out during the pandemic. Like no, I wrote it and recorded it a while. You know how albums uh, promotion yeah. and everything works. Yeah, yeah. So they just, it got, it was in the pipeline, but it's only coming out now. So they're like, yeah, no, it it does, it has nothing to do. In some cases, I'd be like, this is clearly about this, right? And they'd be like, no, I know, it's weird, it's eerie. It sounds like it's about like (laughs) being isolated or being in a pandemic or what have you. But no, I actually wrote and recorded this well in advance. So I asked the fine tuning question, wondering if, if and how much our collective condition has informed the songs on this record, because I hear a lot of communication stuff, you know, signals going through the air, some, in some cases, radio signals. Like I hear kind of like these themes in your, in your lyrics. And so I wonder if it's about connection in that regard of feeling alone, but I don't also want to taint uh, (laughs) anyone's listening experience or misinterpret, so to speak, uh, where you were coming from, but that's what I was kind of hearing is like, it feels like a product of the actual time more so than some of the mm-hmm. other records I've heard. Is that, does that make sense to you in any way? Yeah, it does. I, I, it's interesting, like, because when I was saying I wrote, was writing these songs before all of the stuff happened and the production got stalled a few times. I, I was supposed to start the record and then it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And then the, like the serious lockdown happened. Yeah. And it, 
you know, I, I, I certainly, it's obvious that it, it had an effect. I wouldn't necessarily want to say that this is like a COVID record, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Because the idea of the album came to me way before, but I have to say that to be able to just just take a step back and really and really work on it a lot, you know, I almost was sort of treating it as a a novel in a sense where I, th- I think revision is important, and particularly in my case, <laughs> because a lot of times in the past I was just kind of plowing through yeah. songwriting, and I, I really wanted to. To, to really immerse myself in this, in this, I guess, story uh, of this album. And I obviously had that opportunity to do it and to be isolated. It affected it. it essentially, it helped me. I mean, I'm, I was a very bedroom oriented young child kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really embraced isolation. I really like to have the door locked and, with you know play my guitar and be as weird as i possibly could and <laughs> kind of creating creating my own my own sort of universe in in a sense and i still it's interesting to know that i still feel that way and and i still crave that sort of isolation in my life and i definitely craved it and missed it when i was just traveling so much yeah so for me to to be able to reflect on on what I was trying to do and really take my time with it in that, in that sense, it really guided the music. I think there are certain things that I've sung about over the years. There's a lot of sort of hopeful sentiments. There's a lot of paranoid sentiments. I like, I like that kind of wordplay as well, where you're kind of mixing the two ideas. Yeah. And certainly being hopeful and being paranoid was uh, a yin and yang of sorts of, of uh, dealing with with what was going on. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I mean, you you mentioned that the songs kind of come together, or rather, your approach was almost like writing a novel. That there's a story here. Uh, is it possible for you to characterize that story? Because you know, I, I requested a, a, a lyric sheet as I often do when I yeah, uh, interview. Oh no, no, I got it, I got it. Sorry, I, what I was going to say is I, I I requested one and I received it, and then I was reading the lyrics because there are moments where I'm like I can't quite tell what Steve's saying, and I would like to just see it on the page. And then I got the page, and I'm like I still don't understand what's happening, <laughs> which is which is a great part of art. But I there there's like a non-linear kind of structure, and it's very evocative and vivid. But I'm also like unsteady. I don't exactly know what's happening. You say there's sort there's some sort of novel like you know structure here and a story. Again, how would you characterize the story of Other You? Well, I have to say that it's a nonlinear story, and for me, that's a big part of my songwriting process and the, how I exercise my use of language. Yeah, and I don't necessarily like to write a story from from point a to point b to point c to the resolve to the aftermath you know i I like to kind of really use words to like you said to to be evocative and to kind of almost be interpreted in in however the listener would like to use the language i'm not saying that they're it's a hidden or shrouded it's just sentimentally I like to kind of use language in a more expressive way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also, 
you know, I tend to not want to be overly confessional or be overly egotistical with my music. For me, a lot of the songs that I write, they're as, as an offering to other people. And to me, one of the greatest sort of experiences of putting out records is when someone comes up and says like, you know, your music really helped me. Or, you know, this song is something I've listened to a lot and in a, in a rough time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to put my own experience into that because I think that a lot of times they came up with their own interpretation or their own personal sort of like identification with, with the words. And if I wanted to write a song saying, you know, I walked into this bagel shop and fell in love and then we fell out of love and how sad am I? I just, I'm not interested in, 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 in proposing that story to anyone. So I guess I'm not avoiding the question per se. No, I don't. And I don't <laughs> think you are. I, I will say that to me, there is a mystical tone to the listening experience and then when I got the, and normally when I feel unsettled by music with a lyrical bent and I'm sent a lyric sheet, I feel a little more grounded. And in this case, I felt less grounded. And, and, and it is that bad. No, it's not a bad thing at all. I felt like the enigmatic qualities were only heightened by the words. That's unusual and unique uh-huh. and extraordinary, frankly. Like to me, I was saying to my wife this morning, I'm, I read her passages of, I think it was Circuit Rider. I'm like, what the, f- what is this? I don't know what this means. I feel sort of uh, at sea a little bit, but I didn't, I wasn't saying it like in a negative way. That's why I like art because it provokes feelings as much as it does thoughts. And so in me, I mean, as a receiver. So I, I'm, I'm very happy about it and it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful poetry and it sort of it speaks to something that I think I've been I've been sort of reading the press reception to your solo work as it's developed Mm -hmm. and there's a narrative that I find curious and I wonder about your thoughts on it which is that Steve Gunn is and was an extraordinary guitar player oh look he's also a great lyricist and and I wonder, you mentioned Richard Thompson earlier, and I feel like maybe that's a similar thing, a uh, similar trajectory in terms of the way the, the media or, you know, as, as the narrative around an artist can sort of develop. Like, they're one thing, but wait, they do this other thing. What do you, yeah. I, I guess I wonder about that. Like, are you aware of this? And what do you make of that? That people think you're the thought, I mean, you are obviously a very gifted guitar player. I, I you know, I think some have said one of the greatest living guitar players and I, I subscribe to that notion but now there's this oh wait he has this other trick uh, he can write songs that are really mm-hmm. excellent as well are you aware of this narrative and what do you make of it uh, yeah I'm definitely aware of it I mean to think back on myself as my musical trajectory I guess if you want to call it that I started as a guitar player and I wasn't singing you know and I mm-hmm was doing a lot of instrumental guitar stuff. And those are some of my first releases. And I think I slowly kind of came into songwriting in kind of a circuitous kind of way where I was really trying to be this overly young, too much energy, virtuosic player, which I was trying to do stuff that was beyond my means, I guess. (laughs) Probably asserting, asserting yourself a little bit. Yeah. And I was, and I became obsessed. I was practicing 
all day, all the time, just playing all the time and getting my kind of dexterity down with the style that I was playing in. And I was looping myself into these, you know, long form circuitous circular kind of riffs where it was like I would play a riff that lasted, you know, eight bars or 16 bars and then loop that. So basically I was doing these really repetitive guitar patterns. A lot of stuff was in open tunings and I don't know. I was, I had this crazy kind of acute focus and it was pretty simple as far as repetition and, and, repetitive practicing and patterns, I kind of fell into this sort of cycle of of that. And for me, I did that for years and years, but I also, you know, I I started singing and I, you know, I I do like writing and I do like poetry and songs, of course. And it came into the music and it came into it in the beginning. It was pretty slow. I would sing a song kind of sheepishly <laughs> and then back to the instrumental stuff. So it was, and then it, it only really kind of solidified for me when I did do a proper album of songs and then got invited to play shows. And also particularly in Europe, you know, I was mm-hmm. as a young guy, I was traveling with an acoustic on trains and playing in, in front of people I didn't know. Sometimes languages I didn't speak and, for me, that's where I really kind of came into being able to project my voice a little more. And I feel like I'm still improving on my singing. You know, this record, I've come a long way and I worked with someone who coached me more than I've ever been sort of coached vocally before. Um, so I kind of honed my abilities in that respect. Yeah. but and Sorry, who do back, you want to cite their name? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Rob Schnaff. Right. Who, Producer, who, yeah producer engineer in LA and I worked with him and I, and uh, I worked with an old friend of mine named Justin Tripp, who also was a producer. So he and Rob co-produced together. Justin is someone who I was sending demos to who also told me that the singing was, was going to be really important. Obviously I knew that previously, but this was something that, you know, was a focus. Anyway, I guess to get back to your question, I'm rambling now. But, no, this um, is it's a it's a double ramble. When yeah, you when you, when you come on my show, I'm going to ramble for sure. <laughs> Listeners know this, and then now that it influences the guest, inspires the guest to be like, "This is a safe rambling space." So they ramble. That's why this, this is my favorite podcast because <laughs> I'm extremely good at rambling. So. <laughs> Thanks for joining the ramble. It, it means a lot, actually. <laughs> no, Let's I just ramble there. <laughs> Um, I guess to answer your question about, you know, people say I'm this guitar player who, Oh, he now sings. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. I don't know. It, it it is something I've noticed and it's not something, it's definitely something that I'm not, I'm not saying I'm actively trying to get away from it, but I feel like as an artist, I've come into songwriting in a very interesting way. And I feel like I've come into it more seriously over the past few years and I treat it differently. You know, before I was treating it in a way where I was like, I've got this guitar part. How do I sing over it? It's almost like, you know, rubbing your stomach and patting yourself on the head. Like, how am I going to string these words <laughs> into this like ridiculous guitar part, you know, and have a band play with me? It's like, 
pretty pretty insane sort of formula. But well, and over I, the years, yeah, and I will say that I I, I was really emphasizing the. I, I know you were saying like, oh, he he plays guitar and now he sings, but it's also that you write. I, I mean, that was one yeah. of the emphases I was seeing is that not only is he a virtuosic guitar player, but the the lyricism is of a high level as well, which is sort of surprising. And I know, or I rather, I shouldn't say I know, uh, I've read uh, on the internet about what, about some of the people you've cited as uh, influences on the guitar. And I don't mean to further get, you know, I'm already talking about people who have been reductive about you, and I don't want to further that by asking you, well, I don't know if this is reductive. I actually am just curious about your influences as a vocalist. And as a songwriter, you like I say, I was delving into these. They're, they're very. You have a thing with this record in particular where I feel like the lyrics are abstract and, and nonlinear, but I feel connected to them. They feel direct in their own way. It has something to do with the verse or the what you choose to repeat. Really, I mean, like if a verse or a chorus comes back, it feels. The emphasis is noted, and it has an effect that oh, this same thing came back. It must be, this is significant. <laughs> it's significant to the narrative of the song, and to my understanding of the song. Like this is something that the artist is asking me to pay attention to. But anyway, that's just my, uh, you know. I mean, I, if you want to pick a song, I can try to explain it. No, 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 no. I don't want that. I think that I also because I hope people will listen to it and make up their own minds. And, you know, if you and I want to have an email exchange later where I so I can write my master's thesis on other you, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I, I may pick your brain on it. But no, my my primary question is, like I say, I and, and if you want to cite some of your guitar influences as well, that would be great. But in terms of singing, and the writing, I'm just curious, do you have people that come to mind or you look to as, not not in terms of, I'm going to copy them, <laughs> but do you have people who have set a standard where you're like, yeah, that's a way you could do those things, singing, writing. Does anyone come to mind? Um, I mean, I think vocally speaking, for me, I admire like Will Oldham, for instance. Yep. Like, I think his vocal presence is very commanding. Mm-hmm. And his lyrics are great. And he's someone who I've seen for a long time now, 20 years plus probably I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. And I saw him play recently with Matt Sweeney. Super Wolves? Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw them. Nice. I'm jealous. And that's my. That's one of my favorite records of the year. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I also saw him play... The last concert that I went to before lockdown, I saw him play with Jonathan Richmond. Oh yeah. yeah, at Town Hall, and it was like he played solo, but he played with the guitar player Emmett Kelly. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, I don't know. Just something about Will has this time, almost timeless kind of uh, presence, and his singing he projects so well, and it's so emotional, and I don't know, just the way that he, he enunciates words and. His his range is is pretty is very very impressive. Well, I think so, one of our our greatest singers and also one of our greatest songwriting minds. And for by the way, for those listening to the show on a regular basis, I feel like Will has come up in virtually every single episode of late, <laughs> and so I feel like that's good. Uh, and it's not just me; uh, it's my guest bringing him up. So uh, that's fascinating uh, to me in itself. Uh, yeah, he he's he's yeah. remarkable. I agree. 
And I think that I bring him up. I'm, I'm also, you know, I think I'm trying to kind of not do the standard answer or it's like Sandy Denny is my favorite singer or, I, you know, all this sort of older singers. Yeah. And Sandy Denny is, is one of my favorite singers, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, trying to be more in like more current and and i i saw him i saw will and matt play not that long ago uh so it was like and i don't necessarily even emulate him by any means no I no, just, no 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 you know like seeing so many bands and listening to so many records and you hear influences you hear people trying to sound like leonard cohen or you know you hear the influences <laughs> and will i think he's like it's just he, it's almost as if he's like from a different time. Um, yeah. It's like this classic old, just beautiful voice. And he's, projecting. I mean, and, and talk about a very compelling, but abstract storyteller. Like every song takes you, every one of his songs takes yeah. you someplace, but sure. it's, it's an unsteady place. And I mean, yeah. I will say to you, and I don't know if you're aware of them or a fan but I also hear, like, in your work, I hear uh, of late in particular, as it gets more and more lush and layered, I hear some Sam Precop or the Sea and Cake. I don't know if you're aware of them or if... Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's a bit of that kind of airy, like, this is very substantive, but it has a... it has a, It's not light. I don't mean lightness in terms of uh, what you're trying to convey, but it's just like an atmosphere. It's like an ambiance or something. And then your voice sort of fits as your voice, like Sam, I think, is another instrument. I know that sounds like a cliche, and lots of people can say can probably lay claim to that distinction. But do you know what I mean by that? I do. I I do, and I understand what you mean. I I think that musically, there is a lot of space in this record, Mm -hmm. and I think perhaps my range is similar to Sam's. Yeah, that might be it. Like, it's just, there's one thing I anchored myself to, and this might startle you, but also in some, on some occasions, the the more interesting aspects of maybe like Pink Floyd or something. Like, there's yeah. just some, that kind of like... That doesn't mis- startle me at all, no. Okay, all right, just making sure. And <clears throat> some Sometimes you invoke an older or very well-established and popular band, and some people bristle. And I don't... <laughs> and I, I, you know, Pink Floyd's... Uh, I can't say I'm a mass. Well, you know, the more you, I don't know about you, but the more I immerse myself in sort of the pre gigantic Pink Floyd, you're like, Jesus, like there's some really interesting stuff going on. Yeah. I also think, you know, I, I've read reviews of, of my music and, and particularly like recently someone wrote like, you know, he, he cites all these loft, lofty influences, but his music is chalky or his music doesn't sound like these influences. He's not bearing these influences that he writes in his sort of uh, bios. And for me, it's like, you know, I listen to all, I don't necessarily believe that or agree with these people who try to grasp influences and place them into what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel as an artist, it's important to be yourself and to find your own voice. Obviously, you're listening to stylistic things and living in your ranges and and exploring your vision, I guess. And it's sometimes, I wouldn't say it bugs me per se, but if I say that, you know, I'm influenced by 
Milford Graves, who recently passed last year, yeah. who is a philosopher, uh, you know, an artist and a musician, and his life and legacy and his philosophy and some of the things that he taught people and his music even is an influence to me. But you would never compare him to me or vice versa. And to me, that's not what it's about, you know. Right. Um, and I, I just, you know, I like to make that clear because I think a lot of people, you know, because also I'm writing, sometimes I'm writing in, in between certain worlds of experimental music and, and sort of mainstream indie stuff. And, you know, I do both. Yeah. You know, I, no, do, yeah. I play a lot of improvised music and I enjoy that. And that's a part of my life. It's something that I've done for a long time now. And I enjoy that music immensely. And to me, that's some of the most important musical experiences I've had is seeing more sort of free, open-ended explorations and sound. And as far as that coming into my own music, it, it does, but it wouldn't necessarily be like exact or replicating, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. some of the records that I sit around and listen to. But at the same time, I like Pink Floyd. <laughs> I love Pink. Floyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not I'm yeah. jamming the wall or anything like that. But you know, <laughs> and that's where I that's where I was coming from. I mean, I think when a band gets as popular or as sort of huge as that, just like you being sort of you know pigeonholed as a guitar player who happens to now also write lyrics, I mean, you know, things happen to bands and artists. You know, people draw up what they think they are just yeah. to reduce them to something sound biteable. Yeah. And um, so it happens to everyone. And yet, as I say, that band has done made some records that resonated widely enough that that's all people really think of them for. Right. Whereas there's a whole back catalog of truly fascinating, challenging work. And even within those bigger popular records there's challenging work i'm not trying to downplay them but no of course um yeah so i mean this this probably i think this is an okay segue into one of my last questions which is i've been asking people uh throughout the pandemic if they've used this or if this time spent on their own has taught them anything about themselves you have written a record called other you yes and to my knowledge the song and the title but rather the, the title itself stems from a studio th situation in which you were layering uh, harmony vocals. I shouldn't tell this story. Do you want to tell the story? <laughs> but basically, I mean, the, the sense is that you you were, I'll, I'll try and tell it. You tell me if I'm wrong. How about that? I don't want to, okay. I want to tell your story for you. That's my job. Is it? I don't even know. Here, let me just finish my thought. <laughs> my understanding, my understanding is your producer, Rob, uh, was layering was trying to get you to, to do a harmony vocal with yourself and you, there was a note he wanted you to get to and you couldn't get it so he fed your voice through his computer software so that you could hear the note and yep. then you had to kind of sing to yourself. Is that right? Did I capture that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So so this to ask someone this question, what did you learn about yourself when they have a record called Other You and that you is actually them – yeah, you see where I'm coming from? It's it's like an existential crisis in a question. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. have you have you learned a lot about yourself? Like we were just talking a lot about how you're characterized by others, but have you found in this time you've learned things about yourself that have surprised you or profoundly shifted how you want to go through life in, in the coming years, so to speak? 
I think so. I mean, I would have to say yes. And, yeah. you know, that, that moment when Rob basically, he, it was so strange. I mean, the whole experience was strange, but to hear my voice coming back to me in a note I couldn't sing. And then when I heard it, it was easy for me to find the note. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Weird. me teaching, teaching myself the notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Rob said, sing to the other you. There it is. You know, and I wrote that down. And I think the record is a lot about uh, kind of letting, letting a lot of things go as far as just emotional baggage and memory and anxiety and fear and and my creative process kind of I think opened up where I, I allowed myself to really step back and to really just let go of a lot of things. And yeah. I got into a routine and I every day was up on my roof and I had my little guitar up there and like I said in the beginning, I really kind of embraced the break and I did a lot of reading and I, I just decided to do the work and be disciplined about it and not let things take over my emotions and, and, yeah. and my, you know, and emotions are physical. So I didn't, not letting them take over my body too. And I realized during all that time that it, that it does take work and it does take discipline and it does and you also don't have to be so loaded and have so many expectations about it you just kind of have to like be open to it and the title kind of fits that for me because I felt this this album particularly I felt was really myself and the fact that I did do it with just three other people in a closed space and there wasn't a big band in the room and it was very, it was a different focus. And the fact that I had more time and the fact that I had more contemplative time to think about not only the songs, but as, as these songs that are, they're, they're about me, you know? Um, And I definitely feel like this record is an extension of that. And it's a continuation of me being a creative person and me learning about myself and me being, being open to kind of exercising ways to not get so bogged down Hmm. Um, and to also forge, forge ahead and, and still maintain a creative life and not succumb to, you know, all the things that it can, that can really be a deterrent for a healthy life. Jealous, you know, being, your ego going kind of out the window, you know, being unhealthy, uh, you know, all that stuff is, is, is important, you know, Hmm. not to get too preachy, but no, this is all very well said. And I think necessary, it's necessary to articulate these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, the, this record was all coinciding with, with these sorts of ideas and, an idea of letting a lot of things go, but also just relying on my own craft and relying on my own abilities and, and feeling and living in that space and being comfortable with it. And for me, I can feel personally it's palpable in the music 
where it's like I'm in that space and I'm comfortable and I'm, I'm and it, it shows, you know, and yeah. I think that when people make records who are in that place, it shows. Absolutely. Yeah. Beyond this record then, and you know, the fact that it's the recording of it wrapped up some time ago, have you been applying any of these sort of realizations, recognitions to new songs? Have you been working on new stuff since uh, this this batch of, this recording rather, uh, wrapped up? Yeah, I've been working on music with a friend. Like I have uh, this friend of mine um, named David Moore who does, an, who does a project called Bing and Ruth who I was a big fan of. Mm-hmm. He is a, an amazing composer and pianist and musician in his own right. He plays bluegrass as well. We, we never really met, but we started corresponding and we just kind of started coming up with these compositions. Oh, nice really beneficial and we're hoping to like put out a record at some point. So that was a kind of amazing. I was just, I started playing a lot of classical guitar and learning things and exploring the possibilities of that. I've been playing steel string guitar forever and I kind of do a finger style sort of way of playing. So I wrote other, this album I kind of wrote, mostly on a, on, a, on a nylon classical guitar. And so I've been really getting into that. I've, I haven't written any songs yet because I feel like I've, you know, kind of like filled myself up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking a break, but I've been playing quite a bit and I've been, you know, trying to learn my new album, <laughs> which is a home <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I have, a, I have a rehearsal space that I go to quite a bit and... I'm still playing with, you know, friends occasionally and in planning. I have a a, a, a duo with a drummer named John Trusinski who I've mm-hmm. had I've been making records with him forever and I just saw him recently and we plan on getting together and playing again and you know, I've got I've got things that I'm sort of looking forward to, you know. Nice. No, that's great and I'm glad because Looking forward is can be difficult right now. Uh, it's hard to see. It's hard to see a path forward because everything's always changing. So I, I appreciate your, uh, I don't know, your work ethic, I suppose, and your hopefulness. And and you know when you when you make plans, that's hope. That's hope that something can happen. Yeah. So I, pre- I I appreciate that you're doing that. Um, so Steve, if people want to learn more about you and and other you. Uh, where would you want to send them, so to speak, in terms of you know figuring out where the how to get the record? The record's out on Matador Records, so I can say that much. Uh, yeah, but what else? Where else would you like to send people? Well, I mean, I have a website, <laughs> and it's steve-gun.com. Mm-hmm. There's information on my past releases, and you know that kind of stuff. Bio perhaps tour dates at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) I am supposed to do do a tour in December with Jeff Parker. Yes. I saw that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I just recommend when it's safe enough or if you feel confident enough to actually, you know, please keep going to record stores and, yeah. And, and looking and listening and searching and buying, you know, the artists need your, your help and 
you know, Bandcamp particularly, I felt like was a savior to many yes. artists yeah. who were struggling. So I also am a, am a big advocate for Bandcamp and recommend purchasing things on that platform as well. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't yet done it, uh, but I will order your record or ask my record store to to order another yeah. other you because it's it's a lovely one. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, now, if there's a song from this record that we can go out on, what, what would you choose uh, if you could, and why? I think I'd choose the song Fulton, um, which was a single that has been released from the record. Mm-hmm. I think that came out couple of weeks ago at this point yeah i quite like this song because it's a departure from some of the other sort of formula formulas that i was working with before yep. i wrote yep. i wrote this song on piano actually which was a new exercise for me and i think it kind of opened up a different kind of tonality and a different sort of melodically i think i've kind of expanded what i'm doing and I really, I don't know, I'm really happy with this song. And I'm also very proud of this guitar lead that's, that kind of cracks through in the middle and sort of dismantles the sentiment a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's, a, it's a lovely song. I can already see the headline. Steve Gunn plays guitar, writes songs, sings, plays piano. Now they're going to add the plays piano thing. They're going to just add a thing. Every time well, you add something to your repertoire... <laughs> <laughs> no, but one that's seen me play piano, it's pretty rudimentary. <laughs> no, cool. it's no, I was just joking. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm happy to uh, share this with, with people. So thanks for choosing it. Uh, from the beautiful <laughs> album Other You, this is Fulton by Steve Gunn. Steve, this was a, a tremendous pleasure for me. I thank you so much for taking time to speak with me and being on, on this show, and I wish you the best of luck in the future, and I hope we speak again soon. Yeah, thanks. I'm a big fan, so I was really looking forward to the talk, and I appreciate it. hope we get to talk again soon, for sure. So quiet 
to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Very special thanks again to Steve Gunn, who is apparently a fan of the show, which is nice to hear. Thank you, Steve, for appearing on this, the 631st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I'm behind on, I'll admit, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. Uh, a reminder that $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content from my back catalog of old interviews and whatever else I can find. Oh, also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please just message me on Patreon and I will get you one just as soon as is humanly possible. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. They do special orders and a whole bunch of other stuff. So again, blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. 
Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim and his musical universe, which is worth traveling through, exploring. You can learn more about that at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Steve Gunn. Steve and I had a a chat uh, a little bit before and after we were kind of, you know, on the record, everything you just heard. And yeah, he's very lovely. And yeah, we are fans of each other. It's nice. I... It's nice to know that. You know, you don't know why people are on your show sometimes. You, you, get a, you get an email, you get a message. Hey, would you like to have so-and-so on your show? Or, hey, can I be on your show? It's very nice to know that it's, you know, you make a little thing in Canada and it goes everywhere. And it reaches people you admire. So it was very lovely. It was very lovely to connect with Steve. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you like the show, or this one anyway this episode subscribe please subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends to do the same to listen to it check it out spread the word about the show uh, to other people because that seems to be the ticket so thank you very much for considering doing that also you can just do nothing just be yourself have fun stay healthy be safe i will talk to you very soon i'm sorry i turned into a dad at the end but i am a dad so it makes sense talk to you soon bye for now ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.